Is this hope higher? Is he first and foremost in your life? Do you put your hope and your trust in him? Is he your strength today? The name of today's message is High Places. It was birthed, as I said over there last week, and the choir sang the song, The Victor's Crown. In that song, we sang, Every high thing must come down, every stronghold shall be broken. You wear the victor's crown, you overcome, you overcome. As I listened to the choir sing last week during the offertory, I wondered, what is this about? What are the things that are higher? And I immediately went to the classic Old Testament story of Gideon and that high place where they worshiped Baal and they had an Asherah pole. And we're going to look at that scripture today. It's found in Judges chapter 6. So turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 6. Go in the back of your Bible. Go forward about six books, seven books of the Bible, and you'll find Judges. Today, the choir sang, Anchor. And in that song, they proclaimed, You are higher, you are greater. Is God higher? Is Christ greater than all other things in your life? That's the central question today. Is He first? Is He foremost in your life? Today, as we look at this text, I want you to consider a few things. I want you to consider a habit that you might need to break. I want you to think about a God-sized goal that God may be laying upon your heart to accomplish. And like Gideon, you say, it's bigger than me. I'm overwhelmed by it. A relationship that needs to be restored. Maybe the Lord will speak to you today about a relationship that needs to be changed. You know it's not healthy for you these friendships that you have, that it's taking you away from this spiritual life that God is calling you to, to putting Him first and being obedient to Him. It may be that you're in a relationship where you're unequally yoked with someone and you know it's not healthy. You know it's tearing you down personally and spiritually. And it may be that God is calling you to change that relationship today. It may be a debt that you need to Retire. I want you to consider these things. It could be a financial debt, a relational debt that you have. The story is the story of Gideon. It's found in Judges chapter 6. We'll begin at verse 1, and I'm going to paraphrase these first few verses. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them over to the hands of the Midianites. You see, there are these two eastern tribes and the other people from the east, the Midianites and the, and the Amalekites, and they would come against Israel. You see, for, four, for uh, seven years, they had disobeyed God. They were worshiping other idols. They had built on the high places idols to Baal and Asher. And they were worshiping these other idols. And because of that, God turned them over to their enemies. The Amalekites and the Hittites and the other eastern tribes. And these tribes would come on camels. And camels were like a fierce weapon in the day. They could travel great distances in a short period of time. They, they didn't need to refuel. They had lots of water that they carry with them. And they could care, cover a lot of ground. 
And they would come upon the Israelites like locusts, the scripture says. And they would swarm. And two times a year, for seven years, their harvest would happen twice a year. And they would come and they would pitch their tents and they would take over everything. They would take their, their cattle and their oxen and they would take their lambs. They would take their women. And they would take the land and they, they raked it, ravaged the land, took everything from it. And so the, the Israelites were afraid and they cry out to God and God reminds them why this has happened to them. It's happened to them because of their sin, because of their disobedience, because they are worshiping other idols. Gideon, we find Gideon in this story hiding in a wine press. And he's threshing wheat. Now, everyone knows you don't thresh wheat in a wine press, but that's where God finds him and God calls to him and calls him a, a mighty warrior. After uh, taking an offering and then taking a fleece and doing some different things, Gideon fulfills the purpose of God and leads the people of Israel into battle. Now, they're fighting against 135,000 in the enemy. And Gideon calls a trumpet call and calls everyone to come who will fight for Israel. 32,000 men show up. So they're against unbelievable odds. They're severely outnumbered, 32,000 to 135,000. God says to Gideon, tell everyone who's afraid, go home. So Gideon gets up and tells all those who are nervous and afraid, just go home. 22,000 get up and leave. Gideon's left with 10,000, 10,000 to 135,000. Again, Gideon prays, and God says, If you won the battle with 10,000, you would say that you did it in your own strength. Go down to the stream, and those I have chosen, they will pick up the water and drink from their hand, but those who are to go home will lap the water like dogs. He watched. As they grabbed the water and they watched for their enemies, come with me. You're with me. 300 men remained. And now the odds are 300 to 135,000. Of course, you know the story. God uses Gideon to deliver the people of Israel. And they receive unprecedented, unprecedented peace for 40 years after this battle. God has a God-sized goal for you, a God-sized purpose for you as well. Now turn with me to Judges chapter 6, verse 11. We'll look a little closer at this story. Judges chapter 6, verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak and orf, and oak of Oprah that belongs to Joash the Absbarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So the hero of our story, he's threshing wheat. Now, wheat has the kernel and it has a chaff, you know, the, the stalk. And you need to separate the kernel from the chaff. And to do so, you would find a high place and you would bang it against the ground in a high place so that the chaff would be separated from the wheat, leaving only the kernel. Well, he was hiding in a wine press, an unlikely place to try to thresh wheat. Why? Because he was afraid for his own life. For seven years now, twice a year, his enemies, the Amalekites, the Midianites, and the other eastern tribes had come upon him. And they had ravaged everything in their sight. They were fearful. The scripture says they were so afraid they were hiding in caves and in cliffs in the mountains. 
Here we have the hero of our story hiding in a wine press. And the Lord says to him, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon thought to himself, there's nothing mighty about me. What do you mean, the Lord is with me, mighty warrior? We, we often feel that way, don't we? When we feel God's tug upon our heart and our lives, we begin to make excuses. I remember making many calls over the years, knocking on doors, caring for people. And it was always, I just, once I got in the door, I felt at home and comfortable, and I was glad I made the call. But there was always that, I really don't want to do this. You know what I'm talking about? The Lord calls us to do things for Him, and sometimes we hesitate, don't we? We're afraid. We feel like we're not capable. We feel like Gideon. We don't feel like mighty warriors, but God calls to Gideon, and He calls him a mighty warrior. You see, we make excuses for why we often do not do things for God. We say, I'm not good enough. I'm not capable. I'm not worthy. I'm not beautiful enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm rough around the edges. I'm unlovely, unlovable. I'm not, and we make a list of reasons. I thought about this message, and I thought about five lies we often tell ourselves. The first one is this, I can't make a difference. Are you listening, teens? We often say to ourselves, I can't make a difference. You see, my past, my experiences, the things that I've gone through, I'm damaged goods. Nobody's going to listen to me. Nobody's going to hear my voice. I I can't make a difference. Pastor Rex, if you know, if you only knew what I have done. And we lie to ourselves and we think that we cannot make a difference because we're thinking of ourselves and not thinking of God working in us and through us. Did you know that a lie believed as though it were true carries the power of truth in our lives? When our negative self-talk is so consistent, I can never do that. I never will do that. I, you're such an idiot. You know, you're really not, you're not good with math. You know, you think about all the lies you tell yourself. And so you say, I, I can't make it. You've listened to the lies so long, you, you believe that you cannot make a difference. Gideon felt like he could not make a difference, and yet God sees him, what, as a mighty warrior. Another lie we often say to ourselves is, I, I will do it later. I can do it later. One day I'm going to follow Christ. One day I'm going to live wholeheartedly for him. One day... I'm going to make a difference for the kingdom of God. One day I'm going to quit complaining and start living a life of gratitude. One day I'm going to get organized. One day I'm going to become spiritually fit. One day I'm going to become physically fit. One day, one day, I will follow Christ. Another lie we often tell to ourselves is I am what I do. I am what I do. You see, we, we contribute our value to what we accomplish in life. I'm a pastor. I'm an engineer. I'm an architect. I am what I accomplish. 
And so our self-esteem is evolves, evolves around the, thing, the grades that we receive, the degrees that we have, the things that we do. It's all about our value. Our value is based upon our vocational success. Our significance is based upon what we do and not who we are in Christ. You find yourself doing that at times. But you see how God sees you is not based upon your pedigree or upon your performance. It's based upon the potential he has instilled in you. The purpose he has created you for. God does not measure you by your lowest moments. He measures you by your highest calling. His calling upon your life and my life. God does not define your life based upon what you have done, but based upon who you are in Him. He defines your life based on what Jesus has done for you and who Jesus is in you. You see... When we ask Christ in our heart and life, it changes everything. And it changes our perspective in life. When we see ourselves for what for what we for who God sees in us, what God sees in us, it changes everything. He says to get in mighty warrior. I have a three minute video I would like for you to look look at at this time. I'm a forensic artist, worked for the San Jose Police Department from 1995 to 2011. I showed up to a place I'd never been, and there was a guy with a drafting board. We couldn't see them, they couldn't see us. Tell me about your hair. I didn't know what he was doing, but then I could tell after several questions that he was drawing me. Tell me about your chin. It kind of protrudes a little bit. Hmm. Especially when I smile. Your jaw? My mom told me I had a big jaw. What would be your most prominent feature? Kind of have a fat, rounder face. The older I've gotten, the more freckles I've gotten. I would say I have a pretty big forehead. Once I get a sketch, I say thank you very much, and then they leave. I don't see them. I had been told before the sketch was to get friendly with this other woman, Chloe. Today I'm going to ask you some questions about a person you met earlier, and I'm going to ask you some general questions about their face. She was thin, so you could see her cheekbones. And her chin, it was a nice, thin chin. She had nice eyes. They lit up when she spoke. Cute nose. She had blue eyes, very nice blue eyes. So here we are. This is the sketch that you helped me create. And that's a sketch that somebody described of you. So yeah, that's... She looks closed off and fatter, sadder too. Mm -hmm. The second one looks more open, friendly, and happy. Mm -hmm. 
I should be more grateful of my natural beauty. It impacts the choices in the friends that we make, the jobs we apply for, how we treat our children. It impacts everything. It couldn't be more critical to your happiness. Do you think you're more beautiful than you say? Yeah. Yeah. We spend a lot of time as women analyzing and trying to fix the things that aren't quite right. And we should spend more time appreciating the things that we do like. Let me ask you a question this morning. As you look at your own life, do you examine your life in the, pr- the prism of your own past, the prism of your own perspective, or do you examine your life through the eyes of God who loves you, his child. God who cares for you and dies for you. God loves you. Students, do you hear that today? He sees you as a mighty warrior. He sees in you what you do not see in yourself. He created you for a purpose. Now, you might have noticed that it was all women and the, they were being sketched. There's a reason for that. When a woman looks in the mirror, she often sees the, the flaws and the things she'd like to change. When a man looks in the mirror, he often says, boy, I look good. <laughs> the fifth lie that we often, the fourth lie we often tell ourselves is the better you perform, The more God loves you, it's the performance trap. If I can get an A, God will love me. If I can succeed and get this degree, then I'll be loved. If I can do this, that, or the other thing. And the reality is God doesn't love you because of what you can accomplish, but because of who you are, his child. And he loves you. The fifth lie we often say to ourselves is this, if I could get it, if I could just get it, I'd be happy. How many of you teens have saved up, saved up as a child to get something? It took a long time. You had to save your money hard and finally you bought that one item you've been saving for. You purchased it, you got it, you brought it home. And then all of a sudden you had buyer's remorse. You know, I could have spent this money on other things. If I could get it, I'd be happy. And then we get it, and then we have to maintain it, and we have to pay for it, and we have to clean it, and sometimes we have to loan it out, and, and all of a sudden it becomes a burden to us, and there's nothing intrinsically wrong with it. But if it becomes more important to us than God. You see, it will never make us happy. When I was in... Um, Dayton, West Carrollton. We, we started out our ministry here at Lake Avenue from 80 to 83, and then we went to Michigan for a couple years, and then we went to Dayton, Cincinnati area, and we were there for over nine years. And I was four years in Dayton at the uh, Dayton, West Carrollton Church of the Nazarene. And when we got to Ohio, we found out we had to have our car inspected. 
And we'd never had to have an inspection before. And, and I was a little worried, you know, the car was getting on in years. And, and we were living paycheck to paycheck, you know, a youth pastor's salary. And, and we made a decision that Debbie would stay home with the children. And that's just what we wanted for us. And, and so it was tough. It was tough making ends meet. And I was worried about, well, what's this going to cost me? So I take the car to a mechanic, and he puts it up on a lift, and he puts a uh, tube in the tailpipe and begins to measure the exhaust, I guess, and uh, to tell me what I had to do to, for the car to pass inspection. And he brings it down, and he says, it's going to cost you about $800. And, you know, and I'm just a youth pastor who's struggling to get by. I thought, I, I, you know, I think maybe I'll get a second opinion. <laughs> and so I went to a guy in the church and I told him what they said, and he said, really? He said, why wouldn't you take your car to that guy? Why would you take your car to them? Why don't you take your car to the world? Just bring it to me. And he put it up on the lift, and he said, well, it's surely not going to cost you $800. He said, as a matter of fact, just let me take care of it. He got out his welding torch, he welded a couple things, and 15 minutes later he lowered the car down and sent me on my way. You see, we do this all the time. We, we compare ourselves with the world. Why do we allow the world to inspect us, to determine how we ought to live? Why do we measure ourselves against the standards of the world? Why not take it to the one who says, let me do this for you. Let me take care of this for you. Why do we measure our lives by the things of this world? You see, God measures our life in a different way. We are his children. Man looks upon the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. The scripture says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. You see, God is transforming us into his image and we say, like Gideon, yeah, but, yeah, but if you knew my past, if you'd known all the things that we... And we don't see ourselves as mighty warriors, and yet God sees us differently. And He's transforming us as we surrender to Him. As we put Him in that high place in our lives. Philippians 1 says this, Being confident of this, that He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of... Christ Jesus. And it's God who works in you and through you to accomplish His good purpose. You see, we see ourselves for what we are now, but God sees us for who we can become in Him. Look at verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And Gideon responds back, but you don't understand my clan is the weakest of man's and I am the least in my family. Of all the twelve tribes of Israel, mine is the weakest and I'm the least in my family. Why are you calling me God? But God is patient with Gideon. And he says, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. You see, God had a place in history for Gideon. And we find Gideon's story in Hebrews chapter 11. He is one of the men, men and women of faith described there. And God has a place for you.
You see, there's nobody like you in the entire world. Everything in this world God made, and nothing in the world that He has made is a copy. Everything is different. Every plant is different. Every tree is different. Every animal is different. Certainly, every human being is different. God could have made us all alike, but He didn't. He made each and every one of us unique. Why? Because an original is much more valuable than a copy. And you are valuable to God. And God loves you. Verse 25 of Judges 6. It says, That same night the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd. If you read earlier in the Scripture, you'll find that when the angel of the Lord came to him, he brought a sacrifice out. So now there's this second bull. Tear down your father's altar to Baal. Cut down the Asher pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord, your God, on top of this height, using the wood of the Asher pole, and cut down that you cut down. Offer the second bowl as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did this at night rather than in the daytime. When Gideon was asked to do this, he was afraid. He began to make all the excuses, but the Lord called him a mighty warrior. And so this was his first act of obedience. It was an act of public declaration that I will serve God, and my dependence is upon God and not upon Baal or the Asherah pole. Let me ask you a question today. Is there something that's higher, that's more important in your life than God himself? Is there a habit you need to break? Is there a goal that God has laid upon your heart to accomplish and you feel like it's just too big of a mountain to climb? There's just no way in the world you can do it. Well, God sees you differently than you see yourself. Is there a relationship that needs to be restored, a relationship that needs to be changed? Is there anything that you've placed higher than God himself? Is there a debt, an emotional debt, a financial debt you need to retire? You see, when we give God the highest glory, he gives us the deepest peace. The second song that the choir sang, they sang today, talks about his unchanging, his unshakable love. And your name is higher Your name is greater. My hope is in you. When I was a youth pastor um, here at Grace Point, I would always conclude, almost always, my Bible studies with, you guys are awesome. The reason I did that was because as a young man, I read a book uh, by Zig Ziglar, uh, See at the Top. And in that book, there was a story of research conducted by Dr. Robert Rosenthal. Dr. Rosenthal was a professor at Harvard University, and, and he had some students do uh, experiments on rats. And he took a litter of rats, and, and uh, he told the first group of students, you have super rats. These rats are intelligent. They're fast. They're super rats. You're going to need to buy a lot of cheese because they're going to make it through this maze and Fast time. He told the next group of students, you have average 
rats. Uh, they'll do well. They'll be okay. They'll struggle to get through the maze. And, and you'll need to buy some cheese, but uh, you know, probably don't need to buy a whole lot because they're just average. The third group of students, he told them, you have mongrel rats. They really won't amount to much. Matter of fact, I don't even know if I'd waste any money on cheese because I'm not sure they'll ever make it through the maze. Maybe buy a couple pieces. Well, you know the results. The first group of rats, they were the super rats, and they made it through in rapid time. The second group of rats were average, and they had an average time. The third group, well, they failed miserably. Well, the students found out later that all three groups were from the same litter. They were all average rats. Later on, um, a study was conducted of uh, grade school students. The teachers were instructed this group of students that you have, they're brilliant. I mean, absolutely brilliant. Their I scores are through the roof. Uh, you're going to have to push them because they don't really realize how brilliant they are. But they're brilliant students. The second group of student, teachers were instructed, you have average students. And, and they'll do okay, but they're average. Well, you know the results. The students who were under the teachers, who were in the, under the impression that um, their students were brilliant and geniuses, they finished the full grade ahead of the average students. The reality is they were all average. And the treatment made the difference. I would close the Bible study on Wednesday night saying, you guys are awesome. And I meant it in my heart. When our kids were growing up, I'd marvel at their accomplishments. I'd hold Ryan in my arms and say, Ryan, you're so brilliant. Ryan, you're so smart. I'd watch him spell. He was so much better at spelling than I was. Ryan, I'm amazed at how you're able to spell at such a young age. I'd tell Tyler how much she was loved and how brilliant she was. The other day, I had Aubrey in my arms, my granddaughter. Aubrey, you're beautiful. She said, Grandpa, I know. <laughs> I remembered Ryan saying, uh, I'm smart. I'm brilliant. And I thought of the scripture where it says you have to be careful not to think more highly than you ought. And I thought, this is not good. I need to help Ryan. I said, Ryan, you can't go around telling people that you're brilliant and you're smart. He said, well, why not? You tell me I'm brilliant. Ryan, you can't do that. Well, why not? And I thought about it for a little while. And I said, Ryan... If someone asks you, do you think you're brilliant? You just respond, my daddy says I am. Aubrey, when someone says you're beautiful, you just respond, my grandpa says I am.
see, the devil would say to Gideon, and who was hiding in a wine press, you'll never amount to nothing. You're the least of the least. But his perspective was changed because he took hold of God's perspective and he became a mighty warrior. So when you struggle with your identity and the devil says to you, you're not really forgiven. You remember what you did. You know the places you've been. Those images are still in your mind. You're not forgiven. You say, but my father says I am. For the scripture says in 1 John 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When the devil says, do you really think that you're capable to fulfill the purpose of God? You remind him. The Lord said, I am his workmanship, created in advance to do good work, which was prepared for me. Do you really think you can make a difference in the world? My father says I can. Do you really think you can be salt and light? My father says I can. Do you really think you'll make it through this trial and this hardship? My father said he would go with me. That he would be my strength. going to sing a song and if the Lord's speaking to you today I don't know what the battle is but you do and you don't have to go alone and God sees you differently than you see yourself he sees you as a mighty warrior and in God's kingdom the battle has already been won are you willing to stand as victor today? Are you ready to declare your independence and your dependence upon Him? Making Him higher over everything else. Your independence from the world's perspective and your dependence upon the one who loves you the most. It may be that you've never asked Christ in your heart and life and today's the day of salvation. I don't know what the Lord has for you today. But we're going to spend a few moments around the altar if you'd like. So let's stand and sing together the song that Edgar has for us.